Well, welcome to the eight. And we got like a different group there on the side. Okay, that's cool. Okay. Well, welcome to the eight, everyone. Sorry, I didn't mean to distract you just because I have a new seating arrangement. But anyway, welcome to the eight. Let me open with this story. I shared the story a few years ago. Um, this is very weird. So I, I had a big lying issue as a kid. And as my parents as, as witnesses, like I, I, I lied a lot to the point that I remember, I, I still remember it because I was so stressed about it. I was on the school bus, I was in elementary school, and, uh, and I got a grade that I, I know my parents are not going to be happy with. And I can't remember, it was either a C or a B, I can't remember. They expected an A in that class, and I did it. So what did I do in the bus before I got home? I got whiteout ink, and I changed, this is before anything was digital, obviously, and I whited, and I whited out the C, and then I took a pen, and I remember doing it in the bus, I'm waiting for it, the bus to stop so I can write clear and not shaky so I can convince my parents. And I wrote B over where I got a C. I get home. I think I'm like the smoothest person in the world and I just got away and like everything's going to be perfect. And, uh, and my parents were not happy. And they, yeah, to, I'll put it in a nice way, they were not happy with me because they obviously realized what I did. And they were just like so disappointed in me and it was a whole ordeal. So what does every parent do when they're just lost? They call Abuna, right? They call the priest. And what do I do, right? As if like, you know, no. <laughs> so they call so they call Father Luke, which was my priest growing up. And they're telling Father Luke, you know, we don't know what to do. My parents are like, you know, our kid is lying. He's like whiting out what the teacher wrote. And somehow, I don't know how it escalated, maybe, Dad, you remember the details. Somehow it escalated to the bishop being involved. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. So it ended up going to the bishop to deal that I am a liar and that I, my life will be ruined if I continue to lie for the rest of my life. And you fast forward, and it's that exact same bishop somehow asked me to, come a pri to become a priest years later. I, uh, so it's a... It's, it's a crazy story, but I had uh, an issue of lying. I'm sharing this to bring some comfort to the parents. And we should also just not be comforted that I was a chronic liar and I ended up overcoming that. We should also be comforted that the Bible is full of broken people. The Bible is full of broken families, of issues in marriages, issues with their kids, estranged kids, broken, lying kids. Like there's tons of issues that exist in the narratives of the Bible, which gives us comfort. Because even in their brokenness, they're trying to be anchored in the reality of God to find life, to find healing. And you and I are on the same boat. We come with our brokenness that exists in our marriages of us parenting, and we try to find life in the designer of marriage and parenting. So we are in part three of our series, which is kind of like the, maybe the subtitle is now becoming the title, but the principles of parenting, and it's coming from an early church uh, prayer from St. Gregory the theologian. He says he prayed to give strength to the elders or parents and chasten or discipline the young. Parenting is so tough, man. It is so tough. And marriage is tough, right? Like, so both, like, components of life are so tough. And sometimes we feel like, you know, we should always be, like, smiling and everything should be great all the time. But really... It's tough. It takes a lot of work. And like as much as we want to be good, like the ultimate pop quiz day in and day out that tests us to see our character, tests us to see our integrity, tests us to see if I'm really going to love that person, 
That's marriage. That's parenting. Those are the ultimate quizzes. And I'm kind of sharing some highlights that I learned from this book titled Parenting Toward the Kingdom. Parenting Toward the Kingdom. And, and it was a very inspiring book. If you're not into like reading physically, I get it. You can do the audio book as well. So, and there's some at the connection table. Uh, so it's a great, great, great book. Parenting Toward the Kingdom. This book, Jesus, pushes us to a high ethic of love, as which we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks, a high ethic of love that makes us to the point of uncom being uncomfortable. It's, it, it, Jesus pushes us to embrace the tension, not our own definition of love, right? And then we see later on an, a missionary by the name of St. Paul the Apostle. He's writing letters to Corinth, to different places around the Mediterranean Rim, and telling them how they are called to love each other how they should honor one another, how they should submit to one another. So he basically gives us handles as far as what that love looks like. And we talked highly about just the first three words. Well, in Greek, it was, it was the first three words. And we talked about St. Paul opening uh, his passage about love, saying that love is patient, or even the real root Greek word is saying that love is long-suffering. The love that we are called to give to, to, to those annoying people, to your coworker, to your boss, to your spouse. I'm not saying your boss is annoying. I, I should have put it that differently. But just to the people in our life, what, what is called for us to do is for our love toward them should be long suffering. But we spent enough time on that last week. I want to move on to like the next part in which St. Paul continues to describe what love is required of us to those people around us. So St. Paul says that we should be long-suffering, and we've been looking at it at the context of parenting, that we should be long-suffering with our kids as opposed to, why did you do that? Didn't I tell you not to do that? And we kind of don't reach their pace. We feel they should reach our pace as opposed to us to reaching their pace, for us to meet them where they are. If Jesus did that with us, then we are called. If our spiritual parent did that with us, then us as parents are called to be at the pace of others around us. Love is long-suffering. St. Paul continues. Love is kind. Before you say, that's very like, yeah, love is kind, right? That's, I mean, it's better, like, we should have said, love is love, love is kind, right? It, it's, it's broad, it's fluffy, it's nice, it's warm. But you know, you know what St. Paul's driving when he says love is kind? Like, St. Paul is driving us to, when he says kind, that, like, this is the Greek like ideology in which he's trying to push for us when he says that love is kind. Kindness is loaning your strength as opposed to reminding someone of their weakness. Let me say that again. Being kind to someone is using your strength to aid someone's weakness as opposed to just using your strength to put down someone. Let me put it another way. Being kind to someone is knowing what your strength is and where it comes from and utilizing that to aid someone else as opposed to pushing them down or belittling them. This is what kind is, is to capitalize on your strength to aid and to serve and to love someone as opposed to making them feel low about themselves, right? Some parents, I mean, parents, sometimes we do that. We, we, we think we're being kind by, by, by putting them down. But, but St. Paul gives a new definition of what kindness is. It's loaning our strength as opposed to reminding someone of their weakness. Parents, I, I want us to remind all of us, and I'm speaking to myself, 
and I shared this last week, and I'm confessing, like a, a new aspect of anger I didn't think I had in me, like came out in parenthood. Like, why did you do that again? I just told you not to do that, and you just did it. Like new aspect of, 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 of anger comes out of me in parenthood. But are we pushing ourselves to show sympathy? Are we pushing ourselves to show sympathy to our kid, to hear them out and to meet them at their level? I'll share it, uh, another story. You know, when I first started driving, I don't know what, maybe this is, I think I was 16 or 17 when I got in a car accident. And, and, I, and it, was, it was minor. It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't anything big. But I got in a car accident. And it just happened in Duluth, in my hometown. So it was like, it was a, probably a mile from the house. So, you know, I got in a car accident. And I get home, and I'm like, of course, I remember it so clearly. Even though when I go on that road now, I think of that car accident. I always think of that, that time I got there. So, you know, I feel like, oh, my Lord. I'm about to, like, I've never experienced this before. I don't know what's going to happen when I get home. My parents, obviously, they're not thinking in, in this terminology, but this is exactly what they did. They used their strength to lift up when I was weak as opposed to reminding me of how dumb I am for, for pulling into that person and to get into that accident. They had every right to get on my case for how stupid I was for what I did and getting that accident. It was 100% my fault. But instead, they used their strength to aid me when I was weak. This is what it means for love to be kind. My question, what is the weakness of your children or your spouse? or whoever that person is in your life? And how do you respond? What is the weakness of that person? Do you, do you see their weakness? And then the, the second half of that question, how do you respond? You know their weakness and you kind of really, like, you know, stab it in there? I told you not to do that. You see their weakness. And then the second half is, how do you respond to their weakness? St. Paul continues in his elaborate letter to the city of Corinth as far as what love really means. I want you to understand the context. Why is St. Paul talking about this? Because the city of Corinth had like a very broad um, relative view of love. If you put it in today's language, they were saying love is love, right? So, and, and he wanted to like make it more, he wanted to, to add some meat to it for them. So this is where he, he makes it more clear. No, love is long-suffering. You got to bend over backward for, for, for that person. Love is kind, is using your strength to aid in someone's weakness as opposed to pushing them down. He continues. He says, love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. I mean, he's it's, it's almost saying the same thing three times to add elaboration to really drive the message. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It's not, it's not jealous. It does not boast. It not, doesn't feel like it's all that. And it's not proud. So he's saying the same thing, and he's really driving that point. You know what that means? Like, love requires of you and me to make the other person shine as opposed to us. Love requires us to make sure that we put the person in front of us for them to shine, to elevate them as opposed to us. This is what love requires of you and me, is for the person in front of us to shine. And let me put this disclaimer out there. If you do not feel good about yourself... If you do not feel good about yourself, and maybe you have low self-esteem, and you see you have so low self-worth, it's hard for you to let other people shine. Like, have you ever been around people, like, you know, every time you share about something about your life, then all of a sudden it goes back to them? <laughs> like, immediately it goes back to them? I'm not saying this is always the case, but that might be a reflection that it's hard for them to let the, the, the light shine on someone else 
because they do not have high self-worth or self-value. And obviously, that's a series within itself as far as building our self-esteem and our self-worth. And a big part of that, if you knew who you are and whose you are, then it's easy for you to have pride in knowing your identity and who you belong to. Then what's the byproduct of that? Then it's easy for you to then shine, let, let, let someone else shine as opposed to you. Love is not jealous. It does not boast. It is not proud. It pushes the person in front of you to shine as opposed to yourself. Parents, this stuck out to me from the book. Do we allow our kids, like, do we celebrate their victories and still bite our tongue by not saying, okay, I'm, I'm really great, I'm glad you got a, you know, a, a 90, we get this, right? I'm so happy you got a 90, but why not a, uh, yeah, right, why not a 100, right? So, we, we, like, we celebrate, but then we still want to find an opportunity to coach them, to still put them down. I'm happy you did this, but why didn't you do this? Huh? Right? Why, why can't we just celebrate them as opposed to, 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 to take advantage of that time to coach them? There's a time and a place for everything. But can we celebrate our children? Can we celebrate our spouse? Can we celebrate that coworker? Can we celebrate our boss without it being connected to something else? Like, I'm so proud of you for what you did. Period. <laughs> That's it. Full stop. Don't connect it with anything else. Me personally, and, and, and this is my personal notes, I, you might be different. Like, I struggle with sarcasm a lot. Those who know me personally, like, I love to be sarcastic. I love it. I, I think it's an art form, and I love doing it, you know? So I love being sarcastic. But it, it can put someone down. When, when I'm being always sarcastic, it can put someone down. So I need to be better at, like, how to celebrate, how to honor someone without always connecting it to a sarcastic comment. Like, if... You know, I'm glad my wife's not here, but she, she hates it when I'm sarcastic. Just, but, like, I, just who I am. But I can't just say, well, this is who I am. You know, live with it. It's been 11 years. You know, you, you, you're used to it by now. No, that's no excuse. I need to be better at it. But do we celebrate the person in front of us? Do we allow them to shine? Or is love proud? And I come with my own definition. Does my own love boast of myself as opposed to letting it shine on someone else? St. Paul continues. Uh, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It keeps no record of wrongs. Man, how is this so, like, this is so true for us, right? Think about, think about all the arguments we have with our spouse or with our parent. Didn't you do this last time? I told you if you did this one more time, and, like, you did the exact same thing six months ago. Or we remind our spouse of that hurtful thing they said years ago, and we bring it back, and we still hold that resentment and grudge, and we still bring it to the surface. Where's the virtue of forgiving? Where's the virtue of esteeming the other person in front, in front of us as opposed to putting them down? It does not dishonor others, St. Paul highlights. Like loving someone, it does not dishonor them. Loving, actually a, a, a version of how to love someone, is to honor them. And let me bring this up. Honor is superior to obedience. To honor someone is superior to just obeying someone. You know, to obey is like, um, is at the bottom of the, like, 
is at the bottom. Just to say, I'm going to obey whatever he says or whatever she says. That's at the bottom, just to obey. What's superior to that is to honor. And let me kind of, let me point this out. Parents, if your kids, like, um, you know, if they have a curfew, for example, you have older kids, and they have a curfew to come back at a certain time, and, they, and you agree, say, you come back by 9, you're going to come by, by, by 9 o'clock. And they come past 9 o'clock. And what does your kid say? Well, you didn't say 9 a.m. or 9 p.m. You didn't say, right? So, because they're, they're, when, when they're looking for the rule, when they say, well, what's the rules around here? What are they looking for, right? When your kids say, what are the rules? What are they really saying? Tell me what's the bare minimum so I can find a way to get around it, right? Like, tell me, is, it, is this strike two? Is this how many more times, right? They're always trying to find a way. How can they beat around it? How can they get around it, right? If, if, if the bar is set at obedience, then that's eventually what's going to happen. But how do we push, how do we create a culture in our households for honor to be superior to obedience? Honor pushes us to put others before us. Honor pushes, pushes us to put others before ourselves. We should not just settle for obedience and, and you better do what I'm saying and that's it. No. How do we build within them the muscle to honor those who are in front of them. When the presidential uh, election was going on, there was a couple of people I had a conversation with, and you know, I'm, I'm not really into politics, I'm not, believe me, I'm not just saying this to be political, I'm not really into politics that much. So, okay, so you know, people are talking about it, cool, okay, fine, we, we can talk about it as normal human beings without it getting fired up and no one cussing and yelling. Okay, so we're talking about it. So the person is saying, uh, you know, if Biden gets elected, he's not gonna be my president. I would be like, I, I didn't say anything because it was in front of other people. So I was like, okay, you know, whatever. But I really, what I was thinking, I was like, man, what? Like, you're a parent and you're saying you're not going to honor, like, if, if, if you do not honor the system that, that, uh, of our country, how do you expect your parents to honor you? I mean, sorry, how do you expect your kids to honor you? Let me, let me say that again. If you're, not, if, if you're not honoring the system of our country, of your country, of my country, how do you expect your kids to honor you? Like, uh, what they, what are, when, you, when you tell your kids, oh, he's not my president, if you tell, if, what, what are your kids hearing? Your kids are hearing that I, I don't have to honor the people in front of me. It really upset me when I heard that. In today's liturgy, in the Catholic epistle that we read today, St. Peter, a married man, what does he tell us? He tells husbands, honor your wives. Like, they, they just lined up today. Like St. Paul tells men in, in his letter that he's writing to early Christian converts, he's telling them to honor your wife. He says, esteem your wife, lift up your wife, honor them. He doesn't just say obey and that's it. He says, honor them. He, said, he, he tells us to elevate our wives and to honor them. Literally Thursday afternoon, I'm on a flight to Tampa uh, for a, uh, like a service there at the church and uh, our flight, it, like, was about to leave. And, of course, you know, when you, know, when you check in now, like, you know, COVID-19, this, that, that, you know, check, check, check. So, you, and you know you have to wear the mask the whole time, okay? I mean, I feel like everyone knows at this point you can't, like, it's whatever. So, we get on the plane, and this person, literally two uh, rows ahead of me, kept on pulling down his mask. So, and I was kind of, like, falling asleep back and forth, and, and, but I kept on seeing the flight attendant come and kept on telling, sir, put on your mask. Sir, put on your mask. Sir, put on your mask over your nose and mouth. Okay. He didn't do that. And we're, like, about to take off. Not about to, about to, but we're, like, in line. Since he wasn't listening, you know what we ended up doing? We ended up having to come back to the gate 
because he was not putting on his mask. Yeah, and our flight was delayed an hour. So, like, of course, everyone's, like, yelling and cussing at him. I'm going to miss my connection. Just put on your mask. You know, and obviously it was not said like that. It was other words were added to it. And, you know, so everyone was so mad. There's so, it, they said all of us are going to have to deplane the flight and then in order to get back on, whatever. So thank God that guy decided to come out himself. It was kind of cool because, like, after he got it, everyone was, like, clapping. Was, like, yeah, get off the plane. And, you know, so, so. I'm trying to, like, you know, I have headphones on, but, like, I'm trying to, like, I want to hear at the same time what's going on. So, like, all this, I feel, like I, was, I feel like I was on the news. But, I mean, all this was happening in front of me, and it made me think, like, if this guy cannot honor the protocol that's in front of him, I bet you I can take, a, I can put money that he cannot honor the other components of his life. He cannot honor maybe those he disagrees with. He cannot honor maybe other aspects around him. If he's married, he probably doesn't honor his wife. Like, if he cannot build the virtue of honoring those in front of him or honoring the rules that are set. And, he, and for him, what it, he's thinking like a kid, right? He wants to obey. So what is it, can I, you know, put it down, like, over my nose, you know, under my nose? Like, he's trying to, he's following obedience as opposed to honoring the system. Our kids do that. And sometimes we do that. Honor is so superior than just obeying. St. Paul said it this way to the city of Rome. He says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Like, he makes this so tangible. Like, this is not just, like, you know, uh, theoretical, fluffy, broad, like, spiritual language. What does St. Paul says? He says, honor one another. If I tell you honor one another, yeah, we should honor one another. What does that mean? The guy on the, on the flight, I'm honoring, right? But now he says, now St. Paul makes it tangible, makes it real, makes it applicable. He says, honor, honor one another above how you honor yourself. Like, honor the person in front of you more than how you honor yourself. But again, I know that's connected, and that's a different series for another time. If you do not honor yourself, how do you honor those in front of you? But I, I, I'm bringing that up because they're both connected. And I know many of us might be struggling of seeing our own self-honor and knowing who we belong to. But that, obviously, that's a direct connection. Honor others the same way you honor yourself. And here's a challenge. Figure out how you can honor those around you. Like, I, 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 I'm being honest. I don't do this, but I do know some households, and this is awesome. I, this would not work in our house, where sometimes, like, the kids would not sit down at the dinner table until mom sits down first. Like, so the, 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 the dad is trying to instill in, in the kids that we honor mom. When mom is done cooking for us and, and all the food is ready, when we sit down, mom sits down first, and then we're going to sit. Because if we sit first, we're going to devour the food even before mom even comes and joins us, right? So, so the dad was trying to instill in the kids honor. So what does that look like in the culture of your house or in your workplace? How do you bring honor to those in front of you? Like, what, what are those habits that you can build within them? And, and dads, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to myself, and I want to say this to all of us. If we can instill in our kids, like, how we show honor to our wife, we are investing in our children's marriage. When, we show, when I show honor to my wife, I'm showing my daughter, you know, how, I want, like, I, I, how she wants to be treated. Like, I want her to say, I want a husband the same way I see how my dad treats my mom. So what, what virtues are we instilling in our houses as far as honor is concerned? 
every premarital talk that like I, 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 like I love premarital retreats and speaking at premarital uh, retreats because I, that's one of the biggest investments you can make for your marriage, right? And I always say the same thing over and over and over and over again, that marriage is a submission competition. Marriage is a submission competition. That marriage should be submitting to one another at all times. No one is higher or lower than the other. Is that we should be submitting to one another at all times. The other per I should always be thinking, how can I push myself to the back of the line and let the light shine on the person in front of me? So if this is not instilled or practiced in other aspects of life, man, it's hard. It's, it's hard for you to practice that in marriage. This is why, like, pre-married life, like, you building those virtues is an investment for your married life. Parents, us instilling these virtues in our kids now is an investment for their future marriage. I mean, submission competition that goes along exactly what St. Paul says, for us to submit to one another. Parents, think about how you and I discipline our kids. What is the goal? Like, what is the goal of disciplining our kids? I mean, if, if you kind of pause, maybe our reflex answer is, well, it's because they did this wrong, so they need to learn the lesson so they don't do it again. But, like, like, take a step back, and let's look at the discipline of time out and, you know, you know, I'm taking this away from you, so forth and so on. Let's take a step back. What is the goal of disciplining our kids? If, like, what, if, 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 if what the kids did wrong, affected the relationship. Like your kids did something wrong, you told them to do it and they still did and you punished them for it and you disciplined them. If what they did wrong affected the relationship, right? Because what they did wrong after you told them not to do it and they still did it, it affected the relationship between you and your child, right? It affected the relationship. If what they did wrong affected the relationship, then the goal of discipline is to restore the relationship. If what our, uh, what our children do is wrong and it affects the relationship between between you as a parent and the kid, then the goal then of restoration should prioritize restoring the relationship. Not, we, we have to avoid drifting into, well, you did this to me and you embarrassed me, so I'm going to do this to you. You said that in front of, you know, for my friends, or you were disrespecting, or you wore this, or because you said that, or whatever the case might be, so you inconvenienced me, so I'm going to in inconvenience you. Maybe that's our natural reflex is to move in that direction. But to take a step back, if we look at discipline, if it's breaking a relationship, if it's putting a wedge in the relationship, then the goal should be of how to restore the relationship back. At the heart of every wrongdoing, there is a wedge that's, that occurs in the relationship. Every time our kids do something wrong, it's putting a, 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 a wedge in the relationship. So the goal should be of how to restore that. Parents, we do this with our kids all the time, right? Uh, Maybe spouses, we tell our spouses to do the same as well. I was like, you know, I didn't appreciate you did this. What do you say? Sorry. No, no. I, where's, the, where, where's the pronoun for that? I, I'm sorry. What are you sorry for? Right? It's, 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 you got to like really twist their arm for it to come out. Can we build the vocab for children and adults? For us to come with boldness when we come to restore a relationship, for us not to dance around it, gentlemen, please, let's kind of put our pride down and, 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 and kind of, let's say, you know what, I'm sorry for what I said of, of how I let my anger get the best of me the other day. You know, that wasn't right. Can we come with boldness and talk like that as opposed to getting flowers and say that's my sorry? You know, 
we, we try to find other ways to, to, to say sorry because of our ego, right? We feel, we feel it's like a sign of a, a weakness. But let us be an icon to our children and to those around us as far as how we can restore a relationship. Let us come and say, I felt this when you said that. I felt kind of hurt when you did that. And I'm sorry. Don't just say sorry. Add the pronoun. I'm sorry. Then for what? And here's the part you're going to hate me for. For us to do this as adults and for our children to do this. And your, your kids will hate this when you ask them to do this. Not only ask them to, to say sorry and for what, and for them, to un, for them to critically think, what are they sorry for? But ask them to say, what can I do to make it up? Encourage your children to say, okay, mom, I did this wrong, and I'm sorry for what I did. What can I do to make it up? Ah, it's an annoying question. Imagine if we did that in our marriage. I'm sorry for letting, you know, anger get the best of me. You know, what can I do to make it up? I feel like we haven't connected for a while you know, let, let's, let's, like, we, we need to have, spend some face-to-face -face time. Another thing I always love to say, sorry, I just, I love this thing. Because I like to remind myself, is in marriage, you always need to have side-to-side -side time, like in marriage. Then you need to have face-to-face -face time in marriage, which then leads to belly-to-belly -belly time. Come on, guys. You don't know if you can laugh. I'm talking about sex, okay? Because are concern me talking about that in church or something I don't know we want our children to be articulate and comprehensive when they come to apologize but that begins with us that begins with us I'm saying we keep on talking about parents and what we should do as parents but that begins with us so if we're not building these virtues within us man how on earth do we expect our kids to have these virtues Right? It goes back to what we talked about last week. In an ideal world, we want to tell our kids, do what I say, don't do what I do, right? But we kind of look, look past that why that's a no-go. But, I mean, that's an, a dream world. We want to apply that. Do what I say and not what I do. But that's not, that's not reality. They're looking at how we, they're looking. My, my daughter looks to see how I honor my wife. My daughter is looking to see how I apologize. So I'm wanting to instill those same virtues in her. So if, as we instill in our kids for them to be articulate and comprehensive in their apology, to restore the relationship, that begins with us. If we do this, you and I agree that uh, none, none, none of this is new, right? You, even, even the belly-to-belly -belly time, none of this is new, okay? All this, none of this is new. But we know that we need to apply it. If we agree on this for horizontal relationships, this also exists for this vertical relationship. For us to be articulate and comprehensive in the way we address a wedge in the relationship in order to restore the relationship. In our pre-denominational church, think of how we pray. Think of the language, the verbiage, the sentence structures, the ancient prayers for 2,000 years used in the church. What, if you just look at some of the model prayers that we are given, the church in, in, encourages us to pray with the language of this, and we see this in the text. Lord, forgive my sins for anything that I have done willingly or unwillingly. Anything that I have done that broke, that, that put a wedge in this relationship knowingly or unknowingly, or through anguish of heart, whether in deed, that's an action, or in word, or from faint-heartedness, 
this is just me being like lazy and weak. Lord, restore my relationship with you because I am a, I'm a son. I am a daughter of royalty. For anything that I have done that has put a wedge in the relationship, either things I'm aware of, maybe things I'm not aware of, things I'm, I know of, things I don't know of. It, the church encourages us to have this holistic, comprehensive language, not just, Lord, you know, if, you know, if I did anything wrong, you know, you know I, I'm sorry. No, the church kind of holds our hand and guides us as far as what to say. We do the same thing with our kids, right? Parents, you're never pleased when the, your kids just say, sorry. You're not like, okay, that's better. No, right? You want them to continue. So in the same way, we want to be articulate and comprehensive in the way we talk to our heavenly father. Even the way we begin every liturgical service in the Orthodox Church, specifically in the Coptic Church. We don't just say, thank you, God, for everything. Right? I remember as a kid in Sunday school, what's your, always your classic prayer as a kid in Sunday school? Whenever the te teacher says, okay, hey, I need you to pray. What do you say? Thank you, God, for this day. You know, the kids that didn't come this week, make they come next week. Right? That's always like a go-to go prayer. I don't know why. I don't, I don't know who said that prayer. I don't know why it still exists. Like, I, I still hear kids pray that prayer now. I don't know where, where that came from. I don't know. But if we look at the comprehensive language of the church, we say, Lord, we thank you for you have covered me. You have helped me. You have accepted me. Do you ever pause to think your heavenly father accepts you and loves you and covers you? But we kind of just fly through that and think, oh, yeah, okay, sure, whatever. And we just kind of run through those prayers. But do you see how beautiful the, the, the language the church gives us for centuries here? Of the church guiding us of how to pray in this comprehensive, articulate way to restore this union? Let us apply it for our other unions and friendships, relationships, that anoint person at work, our kids, for us to build that virtue. But that begins with us. We'll finish off the series next week. Let's stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, all of us are tempted to come up with our own definitions of love, and what kindness is, and us thinking, you know, how we should, you know, parent our kids to, you know, get back at them for what they did. And I know we all have good intentions. But Lord, I pray that this series convicts me, empowers me as a parent, convicts all of us to restore relationships and what that might require of us in order to make that happen. Lord, I pray that you strengthen all the parents that are with us, that are listening with us. Lord, I, I ask that you pray for, for every parent, every person who wants to become a parent, every person who is struggling with maybe a wedge in some type of friendship, relationship. Lord, give them boldness and the audacity to know how to restore that relationship. And you have given us handles through the words of St. Paul. You have shown through your own life what does it mean for us to restore that relationship. Give us clarity for us to embrace that uncomfortable question as far as what does love require of me? And for us to embrace that and for us to live that out and for us to honor one another, submit to one another and elevate the person in front of me. This is our calling. 
This is how we can be an icon of you. Through the intercession of St. Mary, the mother of God, and all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, y'all. We'll finish the series next week. Have a great week.